You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DNB Supply Show. Hey, this is your host, Matt Breckwald, and we are so happy to have you with us again this week. Well, you know, one of the things we talk about every episode and in every intro is living the Western lifestyle however you define it. And we have been so fortunate here in Eastern Oregon and in Southwestern Idaho to really live a fantastic Western lifestyle. And we're also very fortunate that we have a premier organization dealing with this Western lifestyle, the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, who have chosen our region for their 2018 rendezvous, where they bring people in from all over the country to talk about hunting, about fishing, about public lands, and about this great lifestyle. And this is the second time that they have chosen our region, and specifically Boise, Idaho, to hold this rendezvous. And I was fortunate enough to be able to attend. So many of you probably remember just a couple weeks back, I was able to interview the CEO and the president of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Land Tawny, and we talked all about this. And I was able to arrange to go down and meet several of the people there at the rendezvous when it was here in Boise just over the weekend of the 13th, 14th, and 15th of April in 2018. And I wanted to bring some of those voices to all of you and and introduce you to some of the people who are behind this and let them define their Western lifestyle for all of us and kind of talk to us about how they make it work for them. And you know, if you start thinking about public ground and it's something that's been in the news quite a bit over the last couple of years, and, and there's there's always opinions on it, but there's one thing we can say for sure, and that is that living in eastern Oregon and living in southwestern Idaho, we are exposed to just some of the most beautiful landscapes and most beautiful areas, hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities that are out there available for us. I mean, if you think about some of the places available to us uh, to go, and these are just these are formalized places like the John Day Fossil Beds, the Steens Mountains over in southeastern Oregon, Craters of the Moon in Idaho, all the way over to Yellowstone in eastern Idaho and the Yellowstone National Park, or just other places that aren't formalized with entry fees and things like that, like the Owyhee River, Silver Creek, Salmon Falls Creek down outside of Twin Falls and and all the great places we can go fishing and hiking and exploring and just get out there and get away from it all. We are really, really fortunate to be able to do that. And it's a really great way to define our Western lifestyle when we get away from it all. And so today I'm going to be having on the show three separate guests who are all speakers and presenters at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous here in Boise. And the first person I'll be speaking with, and by the way, this was a lot of fun. I got to go out and meet with all these people on site at the Rendezvous and and speak to them kind of in the midst of all of this. And the first person we'll be interviewing today is Randy Newberg, and you might recognize Randy's name. He has been on, well, done a couple different outdoors television shows as well as a podcast, and, and he'll talk all about that. But you might recognize him from the television show Fresh Tracks, or now called On your own adventures, but you can find him out there talking about hunting, showing you his different hunting adventures, and so you might recognize Randy. And then after that, we are going northwest, way northwest. We've got Heather Kelly coming on, and she's the creator of Heather's Choice, 
different freeze-dried meals for going out in the backcountry. And she does all this from Alaska, where she grew up and still lives and created this company and lives her definition of the Western lifestyle all the way from Alaska. And she was down here for the rendezvous. And then after that, Rachel Vandevort is coming on, and she is the director of Montana's new Office of Outdoor Recreation. And what's really interesting, and she'll talk about this, is how many states are developing this very specific office because we get to live such a great lifestyle here in the West that outdoor recreation is becoming a very large part of the GDP of different states and they're developing offices and positions and people to manage this. So she'll be talking all about that as well. So three different perspectives and three totally different ends of the spectrum when it comes to living the Western lifestyle from three different geographic areas, all gathered here in Boise to invite all of us to enjoy the Western lifestyle with them. I hope you enjoy all these interviews and these different perspectives, and I hope you really Get out there and enjoy your version of the Western lifestyle this summer that we're just coming up on right now. Randy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for coming on today. Matt, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Hey, it's a thrill and uh, really looking forward to speaking with you. And man, what an event this is. This uh, this rendezvous for backcountry hunters and anglers is pretty awesome. Yeah, I've been to, this is my fourth one in a row and it's every year it's getting more excitement, more people. I think Boise is a great location to have it. Yeah, you know, it really is. It's centralized and there's a ton to do here. I know they're going to go hike Table Rock and do some equipment type stuff and fishing and all that. We've got it all right here. Yeah, a lot, lot going on. Well, I wanted to introduce you to anybody in our audience who kind of doesn't know you. Could you just give us a quick introduction of yourself? Sure. In, in my real life, I'm a CPA and I disinherit the federal treasury for my real <laughs> living. But that allows me to live in Bozeman, Montana. And anyone who knows Montana knows we live this amazing Western lifestyle of everybody is an outdoor person, whether it's because in my case, I hunt, I fish, I hike, or you ride horse or you go whatever. I'm just so lucky to live in, well, in the greatest country in the world and have all these public lands out my back door. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we love to talk about the Western lifestyle here on the DNB Supply radio show and, and on our podcast as well. And and uh, you're kind of describing it, but that Western lifestyle is pretty important to you, isn't it? It's, it's extremely important. I, I grew up in a town of 200 people in a little logging town. That's where we went and got our food. It was kind of this outdoor lifestyle, whether it was through hunting, fishing, foraging. My brother's still a logger. He makes his living mm-hmm. off the land. It, it's it's just part of who I am, and I'm proud to say, you know what? This is where I come from. This is who I am, and this is the way I, I see it. You said you grew up in Minnesota, right? Right, way up on the Canadian border. Very cool. Boundary waters up there near that? Uh, even j- just straight west of that near a little town called International Falls. Okay. Uh, you go south of there to a little town called Big Falls, which even people <laughs> in Minnesota don't know where Big Falls, Minnesota is. Okay. That's where I grew up. Okay. And and then you made your way out west and you ultimately settled in Bozeman. So now you're you're out here and there's just tons of public land, whether, whether you're coming over here to Idaho or you're up in Montana. Tell us about the importance of public lands for you. Yeah, and and for me, when I grew up in northern Minnesota, uh, my parents divorced when I was 11, and my dad was out of the picture for a while. My goal in life was to be a hunter, and that's that critical age where you could start hunting. Mm -hmm. And 
my dream almost was shattered. Or I, I had this worry. How am I going to become a hunter? Well, I lucked out. I had public land right out my back door. I could go grab my 22 or my 20 gauge, walk down the trail, shoot rough grouse, shoot rabbits. And through public lands, I was allowed to be a hunter. Mm-hmm. And without them, I think it's pretty fair to say I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. So I get pretty excited about conserving and preserving public lands and access to those places. And I look in Montana, the number of our are people who make their livelihood off the public lands. And some people say, oh, they're an outfitter or whatever. No, a lot of our ranchers, a lot of, you know, the logging, a lot of, there's just so many things that the public lands provide the livelihood for. Mm-hmm. Besides our lifestyle, it's the livelihood. I'm I'm pretty passionate defender of public lands. Very cool. And you were speaking earlier today here at the, the rendezvous about that. Right. Exactly. I, I was here to explain to people that public lands are an asset. They're a unique American experiment. And every experiment we do in America has its critics, right? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter if we're talking about freedoms, equalities, whatever. There's going to be some critics. But there's a reason this experiment of public lands has lasted since Jefferson bought the Louisiana Purchase in 1803. There must be some value to it. And sure. we're, we're continuing with this great American experiment called public land. Well, Randy, that was a great way to put it. I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk more about this great American experiment. You already know that Honda makes some of the most reliable, fuel-efficient cars on the planet. But that's just as true for Honda lawnmowers. The best thing about a Honda mower is it's a Honda, which means exclusive features like the 4-in-1 twin blade cutting system that results in finer clippings for either bagging or when mulching, actually feeding your lawn with important nutrients. And it also means a highly fuel-efficient engine that's easier on the environment while you're sprucing up your environment. Plus, depending on the model, Honda residential mowers come with either a three- or five-year limited warranty. Shop Honda at select D&B supply stores in eastern Oregon and southern Idaho. D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation, and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today, and these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle, look sharp at the rodeo, and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B supply well randy now that we're back let's talk some more about public lands public lands are a huge part of this western lifestyle because we can all kind of go escape and find our little corner of isolation if we want it whenever we want it's not that hard to do yeah and you don't have to be the you know daddy warbucks yeah because if you needed to be daddy warbucks this guy wouldn't be doing it (laughs) that's right you know on along those same lines and you said you're a CPA. How in the world? I mean, we're recording this on <laughs> April 13th. I feel like you're going to get fired unless you own your own firm. Well, I I founded a firm in Bozeman in 1996, and uh, my partners bought me out a few years ago because with the TV show, the podcast, uh, mm-hmm. everything else we do, I'm gone a lot. Okay. And uh, to the benefit of the firm and the clients, Randy's now, what do they call that in the legal world? Of counsel. Okay. I I just show up with a cup of coffee every morning, sit out in the lobby. I kind of give the employees a raise, even though I'm not 
I can't sign a check anymore. <laughs> if an employee does me a favor, I'm like, hey, you want to raise today? And the partners are like, you can't do that. You're not an owner anymore. Well, I just did. <laughs> so I'm not the guy who's there grinding away that hard. So I, I was able to sneak out. I think Wednesday night, the 11th, I did my last two tax returns. Okay. And now I'm scot-free. <laughs> so. All right. Well, I was looking at your website and it, it describes you as an advocate for the self-guided hunter. What does that mean? Yeah. What's self-guided hunter mean to you? Yeah. And if you look at in, in the West, especially a lot of people go hunting on their own. Um, our LLC is called on your own adventures. Our goal is to lower the hurdles so that people realize you can go and do this. And I have a lot of friends who are outfitters. I refer a lot of people to outfitters, but there's also this quest like a lot of people here at the backcountry hunters a lot of these groups people want more information of i saw you do this how can i go to colorado and do that how Mm -hmm. can i come to idaho and do this how can i go wherever and so our whole idea is to show you that if we do it you can do it and i'm below average at everything so if i can do it an average person can do it even better (laughs) All right. Now, I was reading on your website about two television shows that you're doing, Fresh Tracks and On Your Own Adventures. Do I have them all or is there more? Well, we we started out this uh, thing in 2008 called On Your Own Adventures. And then we switched over to a new format and slightly different style in 2012 called Fresh Tracks. And it was the idea was we're taking you to new fresh places, showing you new things. And kind of the same premise. Uh, right now, they're both available. You can watch them on YouTube. Fresh Tracks, the new show you can watch out on Amazon Prime for mm-hmm. free if you're a subscriber there. And then we have a podcast called uh, Hunt Talk Radio. And then we have a big web forum called hunttalk.com. And I think I've covered most of them. Okay. We we got a lot going on. Let's put it that way. All right. And so what I read said that this all got started by accident. By accident. Now, I've done a lot of things in my life. But uh, I've never started a television show or a podcast by accident. How does that, how does that happen? Uh, well, in 2005, my son and I were uh, talking about something. And he was the video editing teaching assistant at the high school in Bozeman. And he looked at outdoor TV and said, Dad, we could do better than that. I said, yeah, that's why I'm sitting on the couch and they're on TV. <laughs> so he put together a reel of all of the filming he'd done of me and me of him and friends and friends filming us and a production company saw it and said, Whoa, that's the show everyone's been talking about self guided on public lands, but no one can do it. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do it very good, but I can try. Yeah. And so by accident, by my son's nudging, I ended up in this gig. Okay. And I'm sorry, when did that start? That was, we started filming in 2005, but we didn't really get it in front of a production uh, company until 2008. So we're 10 years into it now. And so when you were initially filming, was it just to capture the memories and capture the hunts? Yeah, it was just, we wanted some footage to, you know, share when uh, I get even older and grayer. That that was the (laughs) idea. And then people were seeing some of this stuff, Matthew, my son, uh, that Matthew was editing and they're like, that is good. I'm like, well, not because of me, but so it gave us enough encouragement to try to go a little further, a little further. Mm-hmm. And then the funny part is in the January of 2008, I went to the big industry trade show called the shot show mm-hmm. and everybody, all the industry experts, the ad agencies laughed me out of there. And so I gave up, I sold all my camera gear. I, oh, and then it was in September of that year. Uh, that's when the production company got a hold of me and they almost had to bribe me to do it. I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm out of this. Well, 
here we are 10 years later very cool and now <laughs> sponsors and everything yeah now it's a full-blown enterprise we have three full-time employees two part-time employees my wife and i are not considered employees because employee implies you get a paycheck right <laughs> right <laughs> my wife says it's the funnest job we ever bought <laughs> <laughs> very cool so now you're still doing taxes on the side but is this your main form of employment now you've transitioned uh i've, I've pretty much transitioned I still pay my bills with being a CPA. I'm, I don't do a lot of it, but uh, you know how it is. You get older in life and all your debts are gone. Kids through college, you, you just want some something that you're passionate about. And yeah. So I'd say this occupies most of my time, but it, it doesn't uh, do much for the bank account. <laughs> but, but that's all right. Now, could you, thinking back to when, when you were that young man going out hunting on public lands, growing up, going to school, could you have ever imagined this would be your life? Never. I, I could have never imagined that because I, I grew up in this little logging town where, you know, you, your dream was, I want to be the head sawyer at the mill. You know, that, that was kind of as far as your mind went about, mm-hmm. or I'll be the, the guy grading lumber at the end of the green chain. I, you know, and I, I hate to make it that simplistic, but really I could have never envisioned something like this. And so when I do a lot of speaking and seminars, I just tell people, you know what, if you have any doubt that the United States is the greatest country in the world, I'm a living example. Where else in the world could you do on your daily life something you love and you are passionate about the way that I get to do it? And a lot of people, I I hope it serves as a reminder to them to say, yeah, in spite of all the news here or there or whatever, this is a pretty darn good country. And so I'm I'm pretty passionate about that also. Well, if there's somebody out there listening right now and they've got that passion and they're trying to find it, figure out, you know, how can I get out there more? How can I get it out there and expand my hunts to, you know, the other side of Oregon, the other side of Idaho or into Colorado or wherever it may be? What advice would you give them? Yeah, I would say don't be intimidated. Do your research. Don't don't be afraid to ask. I mean, when I first started doing these hunts in other states, I was probably the biggest annoyance to people. <laughs> calling biologists, calling game wardens, calling whoever, call, talking to other hunters. And they're now with the information age, it's way easier to get this information than it was when I started Mm -hmm. hunting in other States 25 years ago. So go, just go do it and don't measure every trip as success. I tell people my successes came from multiple failures. And if you just measure it by, Oh, I did, I fill a tag or not fill a tag. You are going to have more failures and successes. But for me, the experience, the people I meet, the places I get to go, what I get to understand about other places are part of why I do it. And so every trip's a success, whether the tag is filled or not. So don't don't be intimidated by it. Just go do it. And is there one hunt that you can think back on that stands out as a favorite or something like that? Uh, every year, it seems like we get more that that just stay in my mind but last year now that my son my son lives in Oregon now he he uh, lives in the Portland area he drew a Montana moose tag and so mm-hmm. I've applied for 27 years and I've never drawn a moose tag in Montana he this was his 16th year applying and he finally drew and we got to spend a week hunting Shira's moose and on the public land of Montana and it was just I still I I watched the video it just makes me just smile very cool. Yeah. Awesome. So. Well, this is great for people out there who want to know more, want to know more about you, see your shows. Where should they go? Uh, RandyNewberg.com. 
is where we have links to everything. All of our TV shows, our Amazon, YouTube, podcast, you name it, randynewberg.com, and you can probably find me there. Awesome. Thanks so much, Randy. Matt, thank you. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we will be back with Heather Kelly. During calving season, your livestock operation really comes alive. On your ranch, be born ready with Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment, available at DMB Supply. For almost 80 years, Powder River has stood out as leaders in the livestock handling field. With continuous equipment innovation to help ranchers work up close with their livestock safely and with minimal stress. To bring your calves into the world, then bring them upright. Stop on by select D&B Supply Stores for Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment. Make quick work of your yard work with a little help from D&B Supply, because here you can pick up steel power tools, legendary for getting the job done fast. Here's one power player that'll really blow you away, or at least it'll blow those pesky leaves away, the steel BG56CE handheld blower. It's powerful, lightweight, and easy to start. Plus, it's a real steel at the everyday low price of just $179.95. Get it all done in one blow, and grab a steel at your favorite D&B. Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, you bet. This has been uh, so far just an absolutely fantastic event uh, to be here at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous. I'm blown away with the with the floor and all the different vendors who are here and everything they have on display. But what do you think? Do you like it? Yeah, Boise is actually really fun. So I'm excited to be here in Boise and get to see some familiar faces. You sound surprised. Have you ever been here before? Uh, I've driven through, but I haven't gotten to spend enough time here. That's for sure. Yeah, it's a lot of fun here, and it's a great time of year to be down here in the Treasure Valley and in eastern Oregon, southwestern Idaho. It's it's a really good time of year. I wonder, could we start off, could you just kind of introduce yourself to our audience just a little bit? Tell us just a little bit about you. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in Bird Creek, Alaska, and that's where I still call home today. I went to school at Western Washington University, and that's where I got a degree in evolutionary nutrition. I was a college athlete for four years, and that's kind of what catapulted me into the world of sports nutrition. And mainly what I was doing was working with athletes, coaching them on how to eat for optimal performance. Mm -hmm. And I also have a professional certification in the psychology of eating, which is one of my favorite topics. Uh, And all of that kind of led me to where I am today, which is I run a small food startup in Alaska called Heather's Choice, and we make dehydrated meals and snacks for backcountry adventures. Awesome. Now, how are you associated with backcountry hunters and anglers? You know, I had a good friend of mine that I rafted the Grand Canyon with years ago. His name is Barry, and he is a chapter leader in Alaska. He came to me pretty early on in my business and said, hey, you should definitely reach out to BAJ and get to know these folks. Mm -hmm. And it just kept coming up over and over and over again that people were recommending that I get involved with BHA. And so I came down for the rendezvous three years ago with my business. And from April of 2016 to the end of that year, because of the BHA rendezvous, my business grew 576%. I realized these are my people. These are the folks who feed and water me every day. And and so now you're a national board member? Yeah. Land reached out to me probably a year and a half ago and said, you know, we really need somebody from Alaska, preferably a woman and preferably an adult onset hunter. Okay. <laughs> so I kind of checked all the boxes for them. So you started hunting later in your adult life? 
Yeah, I'm still very, very, very new to it. My boyfriend Brad has taken me on a couple trips, and we've harvested caribou and sick of blacktails, and it's been really, really fun. Well, Alaska is an incredible place to hunt. You have so much wildlife up there. It's it's a whole different world. Yeah, I was telling somebody the other day that on my drive to work, on average, I'll see 30 doll sheep, 15 moose, and five eagles wow. on a daily basis. <laughs> so, it's pretty wild. <laughs> that is a different world. All, all I can claim is cattle. Yeah, cattle and sheep. Pretty but good. <laughs> uh, Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I did not know you were a college athlete, so what sport did you play? I rode crew. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so Very getting cool. up at four fifteen, six days a week, and we were out on the water from 5 to 7, and then come back and eat breakfast, go to class, and then work out again in the afternoon. So it's a very demanding sport, but I I love water sports. That's kind of my jam. I would assume if I tried that, we would just go in circles because I could never get in <laughs> sync with anybody. Yeah. It's all about rhythm, and uh, it's really fun, the dynamic of being in a boat with nine girls because you can't say anything. Like The coxswain is the brains of the boat, and she's the shortest one, but she's the tiniest and the mightiest, mm-hmm. and she controls the whole show, and you're just a cog in the wheel. Well, that's a great introduction, Heather. I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, let's talk a little bit about your views on the Western lifestyle. Know when they say good fences make good neighbors? When you've got Balin Country gates and panels to really fence your livestock in. Also, when you let your neighbor in on the great deals you can find on Balin Country at DNB. Made from steel and designed for stamina, Balin Country gates and panels are tested to match up to robust ranch life. So instead of mending all those fences, round up a whole new one with Balin Country at DNB Supply. This is Bill's yard, and Bill's a grill master, not a grass expert. Still, he won't let weeds invade his backyard barbecue kingdom. And with Scott's Turf Builder Weed and Feed, Bill can clear out weeds, green up his lawn, and hold his spatula high. Because Scott's Weed Grip Formula is twice as effective on dandelions as it used to be. This is a Scott's Yard. Pick up Scott's Weed and Feed today. All right, Heather. Well, now that we're back, let's talk about the Western lifestyle for a moment. So that's a big deal to us on the DNB Supply Show. And, and of course, it is for you as well, uh, living up in Alaska. I mean, you are the last frontier, right? Yeah. And, and so what is the when I say the Western lifestyle, what does that mean to you? The first thing that comes to mind is blueberries, <laughs> just like over and over again. And I think because for me as a kid growing up there, that was the thing that we did was we harvested a lot of our own food. So whether that was picking berries or it was catching salmon or it was tapping birch trees, whatever it may be, there's just so much food to be harvested in our backyard. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's a huge part of the Western lifestyle is having a much more intimate connection with your food and where it comes from. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I have gone to Alaska once. I was there and we met a family from Anchorage, a very urban family, but they came out and they were catching fish because they could can fish and it was something you got to do as an Alaska resident. And I thought, man, that is awesome to be able to subsist off the land like that in in a place like Alaska. Yeah, it's wild that, you know, I think it was two summers ago. I was in the middle of something with the business. I think it was a Wednesday, but my boyfriend and I had planned to leave to go dip netting. And Mm -hmm. so we were going to go harvest 35 sockeye salmon off the Copper River. And it was totally acceptable for me to leave work on a Wednesday (laughs) for a long weekend to go fill the freezer. So it's pretty well accepted in Alaska that 
you know, those three months of summer that we have are going to be just yeah. packed to the gills. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> well, let's talk about public lands. So obviously you have a really high percentage of public land in Alaska where you live and a lot of acreage. Why are you so passionate about public lands? I think for me, I'm passionate about it because I don't ever want to take for granted the fact that we can literally drive 30 minutes from our house and either on foot or by boat or by bike immediately be into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. So it could take you less than five minutes from where we live to get very far back into the woods and have the whole place to yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, I've lived in places like Washington and Colorado and Honestly, I eventually just got homesick because I realized, man, I have so much freedom up here and it's very different to go on a hike in your backyard and not see anybody versus essentially like getting in line at a park. You know, I'm thinking of like Chautauqua and Boulder. I think that was pretty humbling for me to see that if people want to get out and they live in those areas, you're going to be there with thousands of other people. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's not the same wilderness experience that I've been so fortunate to have. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think you're right. And we, I, I look at that too. And that's one of the reasons that I really enjoy public lands is because you can find your little corner to get off by yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's pretty fun with my business that people know me well enough to say, wow, if, if you're getting stressed out or you're feeling overwhelmed, like go on a trip. Mm-hmm. Go on a backcountry trip. You'll figure it out out there much faster than you will sitting here in your office trying to do the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Now, you've talked about uh, picking the blueberries and going out and hunting uh, with Brad and harvesting caribou and, and all of that. How else do you take advantage of the public lands that you have available to you in Alaska? Man, one of my favorite things to do is to go pack rafting. And that's one of the things that kind of got me into this business was being able to go on these extended hikes, blow up your boat, and then pack raft back to where you started or to somewhere different. Mm-hmm. So any kind of boating opportunities are ways that I like to take advantage of public lands. Well, let's talk about your business, Heather's Choice, for a moment. And it sounds to me like, well, you talked about being very interested in psychological nutrition. Did I have that right? Pretty close. Eating psychology. Eating psychology. Okay. And uh, you've got a degree in evolutionary nutrition. I've got to ask you, I've never heard of this degree. What is it? Sure. So I was really fortunate when I went to school at Western Washington University. I was in a program called Fairhaven, and you were actually encouraged to sort of develop your own concentration. So Mm -hmm. instead of getting a degree in marketing or communications, my degree is in evolutionary nutrition. And it's focusing on how these paleolithic diets or the diets of our hunter-gatherer ancestors Mm -hmm. have dramatically influenced the foods that we thrive on. And it identifies that we've really only been eating grains and dairy and some of these agricultural-based foods for the last maybe 10, 15,000 years. And so evolutionarily speaking, we still have a lot of the same characteristics of our hunter-gatherer ancestors, and our bodies are most well adapted to a diet that has lean proteins like wild game, fruits, vegetables, high-quality fats, as opposed to a lot of refined foods that you'll see that Mm -hmm. we eat today. So when I hear somebody talking about the paleo diet or something like that, we're talking about kind of what you're discussing here. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so. and so how has that knowledge and, and that emphasis, how has that influenced you in the develop of Heather's Choice? Man, it, I don't do anything in the business without coming back to it. So as an example, 
for a lot of backpacking food companies, they will buy already freeze-dried ingredients, and then you can mix them together, and boom, you have beef stroganoff, right? Like, you're kind of mixing these individual things. For us, we actually go through the effort to source things like 100% grass-fed bison or wild-caught Alaskan sockeye salmon, and then we dehydrate that food and use it in our meals. And so the... I guess the ingredient sourcing is really influenced by my education because it's really, really important to me that we're starting with really high quality, healthy foods and then creating meals and snacks from there. And how long have you been operating Heather's Choice? We started in the summer of 2014. Oh, really? So we're uh, going on four years. Mm -hmm. And so how have things grown over time? Like a weed. (laughs) It's, (laughs) It's so humbling to me. So when I started the business, I just you know, got a website, heatherschoice.com and put my stuff up there and then immediately started to sell out of stuff. And Mm -hmm. it was just really humbling to try to figure out how to keep up with that demand. And so we've grown from being just my little side gig to now we have, you know, anywhere from two to five employees, depending on the time of year. And we're hoping to scale that up exponentially in the next 12 months. Very interesting. Well, good for you on starting that. And and what was the catalyst? What made you decide? I mean, you talked about coming to the first rendezvous where you had that impact, but you obviously already had the business started. Mm-hmm. What was the catalyst that made you go, I'm going to do this for myself. I'm going to start my own business, make my own product, sell and distribute it. Yeah. I went on a pack rafting trip in Denali National Park. So we actually started in Cantwell, went up over Windy Pass, and then picked up the headwaters of the Sanctuary River and floated out from there. And on that trip, which was just grueling (laughs) in a lot of ways, I realized that I had to have my boat and my dry suit and my life jacket and my helmet and my sleeping bag, my sleeping pad, my tent, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it loaded my 65 liter pack. But then I had this big black bear canister to put my food in for Uh this three day trip. And one, I didn't have space for the bear canister to start, let alone I could not fit all the good healthy food I wanted into this little bread box size thing. Mm -hmm. And so we were out there on that trip and I was eating, you know, whatever I could scrounge up. And then I had a buddy who was eating a mountain house and he had stuck his whole hand into the bag. And we are in absolute grizzly bear country. Uh And so I'm just watching him get food all over the cuff of his jacket. Uh And we're sharing a tent that night. And that was the catalyst. Got it. Yeah. Having the uh, the food on your sleeve (gasps) in the backcountry of Alaska, not great. No. Like legitimately for those trips, you'd create the big triangle where, you know, your camp is here and then 100 yards away, you Uh put your kitchen and then 100 yards from that is where you'll actually eat and all I could think about was like man you just brought <laughs> all kinds of uh, mac and cheese on your sleeve <laughs> into the tent with us and there's bears everywhere. Now you said you love to talk about eating psychology what in the world are we talking about? Yeah so eating psychology is the notion that we all have a relationship with food whether we want to or not so you come out of the womb you cry you're given breast milk And like that sort of starts this whole relationship that's very deeply ingrained in all of us, Mm -hmm. which is that food is highly emotional. Food is nourishment. It's love. It's, you know, blah, 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 depending on your relationship with it. Or you can have somebody who has a relationship with food that's like, you know what? Like, I don't care. I wish I didn't have to eat. You know, it's it's a pain. I don't get any joy from it. I don't like doing it. It's just a nuisance. 
And so those relationships that we have with food obviously develop over a lifetime. And it's really fun to kind of unpack that for people, especially if they are struggling with under eating, overeating, binge eating, any of the non-clinical eating disorders that are out there. Mm-hmm. But again, even for somebody who has a hard time eating enough food, you know, for me, it's like, well, let's talk about that and let's see, like, why is it that nourishing yourself isn't a priority for you? Mm-hmm. And like the conversation just flows from there. So I really love eating psychology because it's a very rich topic Mm -hmm. and it's not something that we get to talk about very often. And I think it would change people's lives for the better if we did talk about it more often. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, I, for everybody listening, I mean, is there a, is there a book on this that you've read that you would recommend or something like that? Yeah. I was trained through the Institute for the Psychology of Eating and Mark David, who is the founder, was who I trained with. And so if anybody just Googles Mark David eating psychology, there's books, there's websites, there's blogs, there's eating psychology coaches like myself all around the world. And it is picking up steam. However, I still think that even in the hunting community, it's something that we can talk about. Mm -hmm. Like as an example, when you are being chased by a lion, Uh right? Or a grizzly bear or whatever, Uh you'll notice that all of the blood gets shunted away from your digestive system into your arms and legs because you are absolutely in that fight or flight stress response. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're more concerned about running away from the animal than you are about digesting your fruit loops from this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I see that all the time for people who are under chronic stress that they have chronic digestive issues. You know, so they might have upset stomach every time they eat or they get heartburns, they eat too fast or whatever the case may be. And so I feel like hunters can really understand that because they've maybe had very real fight or flight responses Uh uh, versus the chronic stress that a lot of us live with. It's a lot more. It's almost like it's not as loud, but it's still there. Sure. And I think that people can see a radical improvement in their health and their digestion and their energy levels if they can recognize the things that are causing them to live under that constant level of stress and that's negatively impacting them from the gut out. (laughs) Okay. Well, that makes a ton of sense. And uh, I'm trying to think of the last time I got chased by a grizzly bear. I don't don't know where the blood pooled, but I'm sure it wasn't good. Exactly. When I woke up, it had gone back to where it needed to be, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I've got to ask you some stereotypical Alaska questions. So what was it like growing up there, especially during the winter when you have so little daylight? Man, it's still an issue for us now dealing with the long, dark winters. I was really fortunate that I lived close to a ski town. And so my dad would pick me up from school on a Friday night and we would go ski until nine o'clock. So they would light up the entire resort and have night skiing. And for me as a kid, that was the best thing in the world. Sure. And so being able to get outside when it's super snowy and just do those outdoor sports really makes the winters more bearable. But then there's also a very tangible experience in Alaska where you do kind of, at least I do, you kind of hibernate for the winter. You know, like your energy levels are lower. You want heartier foods. It's just a different feeling every single day, especially when you wake up and it's dark and you go to bed and it's Mm -hmm. dark and you feel like you live in eternal darkness. But then summertime comes around and it is go, 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 go because you have 24 hours of daylight to work with. And I feel like that keeps us really healthy and it just creates this really fun dynamic for us that, 
know, every three to four months, it's totally different. Heather, I, I love the fact that uh, not only do you live the Western lifestyle and take advantage of all the public land you have available to you, but you found a way to to work that into how you sustain yourself, how you make your living as well. It's a really great story. For people out there listening, they want to know more. They want to know where to find Heather's Choice. Where do they go to find you? Sure. So people can visit heatherschoice.com. And on that website, we have all of our dehydrated meals and snacks. Uh, Our journal is a pretty cool resource with trip reports and recipes and all sorts of stuff. We're always plugging more content into that. And then you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And definitely encourage you to reach out and say hi. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, you're welcome. Another quick break, everybody, and when we come back, we'll be talking with Rachel Vandevort. Spring is already in the air at D&B Supply because we've got DeWalt blowers and trimmers on hand to get you ready for the road or yard ahead. Power through your outdoor spring cleaning with DeWalt's FlexVolt 60-volt max handheld blower or string trimmer. With a super-powered, lightweight lithium-ion battery, they're designed to take charge of tough overgrowth and heavy-duty chores. It's ready, set, blow when you spring into action with your DeWalt. Walt blower or trimmer at DNB now. At DNB Supply, we don't let anything bog us down because we have bog boots, the ultimate footwear for working outside in any weather. Bogs are made to face the elements no matter what. Mud? No problem. Snow? Plow right through. Water? Make a splash. They'll keep your feet warm and dry in any season, anywhere you want to wander. With styles and sizes for every job and everyone in your family, pick up a pair of Bog Boots, available now at your favorite D&B. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, I'm looking forward to the conversation. And, you know, I've, I've really been enjoying being here at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous and just so pleased that it's here in Idaho and, and people from our listening audience all over Oregon and Idaho can come and attend and yeah, they've got it right in downtown Boise. And so a lot of people get exposed to what a great, a great area we live in here. It's been a pleasure, but I'm blown away by this conference. I, it's awesome. Yeah, the annual rendezvous, this is number seven, has grown so much and is growing every year. Um, The first rendezvous I was at was, I think, four years ago, five years ago in Spokane. Mm -hmm. And just the amount that has grown every year since then. And I loved having it in Montana where I'm from, don't get me wrong, but we had to share the love. But it's been great. I We all made it a point to pit stop on the way down here and fish for bass on our way. So we were very, very happy to come down. Oh, where did you fish for bass? Um, Anderson Ranch Reservoir. Nice. Yes, yes. Cool. So, super fun group of people. Yeah. So. Pine and... Pine, Pine and, and Featherville. Featherville. Yeah. Two of my favorite places. Yeah, it was great. We Absolutely. A ton of fun. Well, uh, let's talk about you really quick. Give us a quick introduction to you. What's life look like for you when you're back in Montana? Yeah. So uh, I live in Whitefish, Montana. I grew up there. I was born there. I graduated from college. I was not willing to leave the state of Montana because it is such a phenomenal place to live. And yeah, I now I'm currently the director of the Office of Outdoor Recreation for Governor Steve Bullock in Montana. Um, And actually, not just director, but creating that office within Uh the state. Montana was the fourth state to actually create this office. Um, So yeah, it's a ton of fun. Very cool position. We were talking kind of off the air, but you've been in this position now for six months or just right around six months? Yeah, six months. Yep. He announced this when he was running for re-election. Governor Bullock ran on a very public Mm -hmm. lands platform. And um, this was one of the things that he wanted to create when he came back into, you know, he 
one re-election. So um, he announced, so he was creating my position. I was hired last September. So yes, okay. I would like to say that I'm the newest, but I'm not. Even since I was the fourth person in the U.S. to create this office, there are now eight states that have the Office of Outdoor Recreation. Is that right? Yeah. Well, what is the stimulus? Why, why are these offices popping up? It's the culmination of a lot of years, um, but why is it happening right now? Those of us who have always worked in the outdoor recreation industry, and, and I have, I've mm-hmm. worked within the industry itself and in the you know economy that surrounds that, um, we've always known that it's a huge part of our economy. And it's not just about tourism. It's about recreational assets in our communities that then, you know, build this amazing way of life for people. Mm-hmm. But we've always known intrinsically that it's a thing. It's a huge monster. And really in the last couple years, Outdoor Industry Association has really started to put, you know, estimated consumer spending levels on this. And now with the BEA's um, uh, satellite prototype account, prototype satellite account, there we go, um, for um, quantifying outdoor recreation as a segment of our economy, we're now putting the numbers and the jobs and everything that comes with that Mm -hmm. around what our industry and economy is. And so now we're able to speak the same language. Um, You know, we utilize resources just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so now when we sit down at the table and talk about using those, um, we can talk about, you know, talk about the same language. Wow, that was a lot. What's a BEA? (laughs) Sorry, it's Bureau of Economic Analysis, I believe, in the U.S. (laughs) Department of Commerce. There, I believe in 2016, was a bill that was passed in Congress, and it was the um, REC Act. Somebody that's really ex- an expert on this is going to hate me for butchering this, but it was <laughs> called the REC Act, and it gave um, it gave the U.S. economists one year to estimate what outdoor recreation means on a gross domestic product level, right? You're used to thinking about this as gross domestic product, mm-hmm. parts of the economy. So... They came up with a conservative estimate that outdoor recreation accounts for 2% of the GDP in the United States. And to put that into perspective, agriculture is 1%. Mm -hmm. And um, other extraction, all extraction, is 1.2 or 1.3%. So just kind of understanding where the economy of scale as it Mm -hmm. compares, um, figuring out jobs and stuff associated with that. Well, what I hear you saying is we're very lucky. We are very lucky. We get to have so much of our GDP be going out and having fun. Exactly. It is this organic, amazing economy that evolved out of us all just having fun and living our lives the way we want to live it. Well, that ties in perfectly to what we talk about on this show every week, and that is however we choose to live, what we call the Western lifestyle. I wanted to ask you, growing up in in Northwest Montana and Whitefish and and staying involved and being involved in outdoor recreation, how do you define your Western lifestyle? This is an ongoing um, definition, and, and we're really trying to start defining it a little bit more. But how I try and explain and and talk about this to everybody is I always say, you know, I have a lot of Yeti coolers. (laughs) And um, on every one of those Yeti coolers, I actually have a sticker on there that says, my life is better than your vacation. And I'm really proud to be pretty, you know, pretty aggressive about that because (laughs) I I have. I, I am a person that has made the choice in my life to stay in Montana. I grew up in an amazing place. Mm -hmm. Um, It afforded me the opportunity to, at the drop of a hat, snap of a finger, go out, fish, hunt, boat, raft, ski, like you name it. Um, I grew up, my father was a guide 
um, very early on, I would, you know, be a little kid in the boat guiding with him. And I was able to experience my father taking people either on raft trips or fishing trips. And these are folks that, you know, lived in places that they did not have opportunity. And they worked their entire year and saved their money for an entire year to take a week long vacation. Mm -hmm. And that's what they live for. And that's what they look forward to. And so from a very early age, I had this notion and this concept of you can make a choice to have that be your life all the time. You can make that choice. You can make that decision. Well, I've got to agree with you. And and I've done the same thing in my life as I've looked at it and said, what is it that I want to do? And for me, it's outdoor recreation, but it was also working in agriculture and said, okay, I'm going to find a way that this is every day. It's not just the weekends or something like that. And and I was able, fortunate enough, and we were joking around about this, but I was able to live in Montana for four years. Uh, but in Even bo- though you went to the wrong school, even I though, won't hold it against you. <laughs> even though I went to the absolute perfect college there in Bozeman at Montana State. But, uh, you know, now that I live in Idaho and I get to enjoy Idaho, uh, man, it, it reminds me so much of Montana. There's so much uh, here. And, I, and we're so fortunate here where we're at in the Treasure Valley is I get to escape over to southeastern Oregon all the time too and see some incredible canyon lands and, and high desert and it's 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 wonderful to have kind of that dichotomy between the desert and the mountains here and and all the rivers and and all the stuff we get to enjoy the hunting and the fishing and everything but uh, yeah I think all across the west we get to kind of choose to live that life and we're, we're really fortunate to be able to do that yep absolutely and you know that that ties right into what's going on here at the rendezvous uh, and of course with backcountry hunters and anglers it's all about public lands absolutely and so what does that mean to you to Describe the importance of public lands to you. You know, I mean, obviously public lands have been a part of my existence and being from the time I was born. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a concept that there was, I didn't understand that it was something special. I just assumed that it was a way of life. Like that's just what you did. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, fast forward now in my life and I've worked in the outdoor recreation industry and understanding where our public lands came from how they were created, how they're taken care of, and what threatens them, you understand, oh my gosh, there is a much bigger picture here. And, you know, take that the next step. When the governor of Montana said he was creating this office, those of us that are involved in the outdoor recreation economy, we function just like every other segment of the economy. We manufacture goods. We rely on shipping. We bank. We do all of these things. Mm -hmm. However, the one component that is completely unique to this entire economy is the backbone of it. And that's land and water and access to it. And especially in the West, it's public land, public water and the access to it. Mm -hmm. And so without that infrastructure that supports our economy, we don't exist. That doesn't happen. We don't have these opportunities. We can't choose to make the living doing what we're doing, um, working in outdoor recreation industry, etc. So it's of vital importance. I mean, this is the backbone that's holding up this um, segment of the economy. Well said. Now you have two sons. Yes. And what are their ages? They are 11 and 9. Yep, I've got that right. Um, <laughs> yep, my oldest, McLean, is 11 and my youngest, Schaefer, is 9. When it comes to the outdoors, when it comes to public lands and access and recreation, what kind of legacy do you want to leave for them? Yeah, I want them to have, and again, that is part of the reason that I wanted to take this current job and build this office is because I'm working for my kids is what I'm doing. And Mm -hmm. I want them to have the same amazing opportunities for careers, um, the same amazing opportunities to live happy life that I have had, if not more so. I want them to be able to do what I have done. So that 
is why I do everything I do. And, you know, like I said, working in this office, I'm trying to work that much harder. Well, this has been great, Rachel. If people want to know more about your office, if they want to know more about what you've done or growing up in Whitefish or whatever it may be, how should people get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. We um, almost have my uh, page done. Um, You can go to the governor's um, page, Montana Governor Steve Bullock, um, under Office of Economic Development. There's the Office of Outdoor Recreation. So my office has that. I also have social um, pages for my office as well. So whether you're on Instagram or Facebook, you name it just look up Montana Office of Outdoor Recreation and if you want to know more about me which I basically am just catching and shooting things and doing <laughs> stuff all the time and trips around with my kids I'm on Instagram at, at mtrayray m-t-r-a-e-r-a-e awesome thank you so much for coming on today. yeah thanks for having me thank you all for joining us today and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle however you define it for the DNB show I'm Matt Breckwald.